It's great. There's chickens running around. I got peach trees all over the place. We've got a great fire pit sitting area. There's workout equipment if you want to do that. We do backyard concerts here. There's a stage. Welcome to the Dream Studios podcast. I'm your host, Hogue, recording and mixing engineer here at the Dream in South Austin, Texas. And this is the first episode of a podcast that will feature conversations with bands and artists that have come in here to record. Um, to record what I hope was their dream album, so to speak. People come in here to record singles, EPs, full lengths, demos, all sorts of reasons. And there are other podcasts out there that do kind of the same thing. Uh, conversations with artists about how they wrote and recorded their songs and their albums. I'm thinking of something like Song Exploder. But those are interviews with really famous people. The people that come into the dream are not famous or not that famous in some cases. But they're no less talented, and their stories are just as fascinating, I think. And you can discover some fantastic new music here, originating and recorded in a city known worldwide for its music scene. That's, of course, Austin, Texas. But today, for our first episode, my guest is not a client, but rather my brother, Bonesaw. Bonesaw and I co-own and co-operate The Dream. We built it together. And in this first episode, we'll tell you the story of why and when and how we built it. Bonesaw, brother, welcome to the first episode of the Dream Studios podcast. Hey, Hogue. It's great to be here at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a scorcher out there today. It's starting to feel like early summer. I personally love it. Although I was pretty hot after the walk I just took. I had to take a cold shower. Did you take a cold shower? That probably would have been smart. And I took a hot shower. That's, that's not smart. It's nice and cool in here in the dream, though, because we have these great Mitsubishi units in each room. Yeah, but it's not on. Should we turn it on? We could. It's one of our favorite things about the dream is having a remote control for the AC. <laughs> it is. That actually has a spot on my uh, discussion list. I'm sure it does. But let's get to it. Give, give me a little history. Give the listener a little background on our musical history and what led us to build the dream. Then we'll get into some of the details about the actual building process, which I remember both fondly and with a certain amount of horror because of the sheer number of backbreaking hours it took to achieve. But uh, go. Well, uh, you mentioned the heat, and there's a piece of it about the heat. We were in a touring band for 15, 16 years called Full Service, and we're still in a band, but just not that band. And uh, that band at one point for uh, several years all lived together here at the house before we built the dream and the apartment that's above it. One of the rooms was the jam room and it didn't really have AC. And we would jam in this tiny, like, I don't know, 10 by 10, no, 10 by seven room or something like that. I don't know, it felt about four by four. Four guys in there and we would play every day in there. It was really hot. And that was like for, you know, like a long time, 12 years, 10 years maybe. And in all of those times, the dream was to have our own, like any band, have our own great recording studio spot. So when I got married in 2016, 15, and shortly thereafter that... <laughs> Which one was it? I think it was 15. Okay. Like actually, April 25th, coming up. And it was time to, you know, make a few changes around the house. Some of the guys moved out. And we decided it was a good time when we were having we were refinancing the whole house and everything, so Colleen would be on the mortgage and everything. Timing was great to build this back house back here, to build the studio so all the music could now have its own home. And our house up the other side of the yard would be more of a home. And it would have this kick-ass apartment up top, which would be um, where Hogue would live, the, a.k.a. the treehouse. 
and the timing was just so great. The rates were low. The value of our house had gone up so much since 20, since 2004 when we bought it. So you and I decided to put every, all the music stuff on hold for a little while, although we actually did a fair amount of playing during the building of this, which was crazy. Did we? Yes. What do you mean? Rehearsing? Like, yeah. I mean, we did like the Christmas show. We did like a bunch of shows during the time. We, did, we went on a tour during the time that we were building this stuff. So it was like October when we really kind of broke ground, and uh, one of your drum students was a is a general contractor awesome guy mike paslick he's a he was a project manager for this and he did all like the contracts subcontracting and stuff and um it was really fun to work with him he gave us a great discount because he was also going to get to use the studio which was fun and so you and i just kind of figured out which things we could do and i mean like theoretically do because we really couldn't do anything before that and then which things we had to hire out so uh we had a crew that did like took down a tree made the foundation, did the did the framing, did the roof, and that was pretty much it. We did all the other stuff. So, so once the wood skeleton was up, then we we brought ourselves in and our friends to do to finish the job. Yeah. And the roof and the insulation. But there's plenty of work before that like you know, the the worst job of the whole thing, which was digging digging a 2-foot deep trench from the very front of the house along the tiny side of the house. We had to push the old van out of the way, all the way across the yard, for the water line and the. It's a huge line. trench. I just watched rewatched the video. It's the worst that we made of um, like a little building of video, and it was a long trench. Yeah, and you know I could have rented a trencher for part of it, but because of where it went, I couldn't rent the thing, and you know budget was a little bit tight, and I dug it, you know, eighty five percent by myself. I don't know why yeah. you you didn't help. Probably part. more than 85%. I was trying to remember why it didn't help. I, also, can you turn on the AC or what, what happened with it's that? On. It's on. We are roasting in here. All right, I'll turn it up. Let me use the control it's here. It's not, definitely not on. Takes a second. It's for the first time it's been turned on for a long time. Why didn't I help with the ditch? What was I doing? Was I, I don't know. I remember being a little salty that you weren't helping with the ditch, but you did a lot of work. It wasn't like you weren't working, but I don't remember. I, there's a lot of runs together. But I did have some help a few times in the ditch. Weirdly, Chad Stokes from dispatch that's right spent a day helping me dig the ditch right. <laughs> which was really weird and awesome so that was the that was how we came to be to do the studio i believe it was maybe even our mom's idea and colleen's idea together to kind of put it together and then um yeah we had a, i mean like i i feel the same way that you do that i have a lot of extremely fond memories of it for a lot of reasons which i'd love to go into but then also just like uh, like a kind of like that <sighs> yeah feeling. a shudder <laughs> and we learned so much Really kicked off, like a really ramped up for me, like an interest in building. You know, we did learn a lot, but I forgot nearly all of it. And that's where we're different. You retained a lot of that knowledge and used it in the future. And I immediately put it in the recycling bin and emptied the trash. I thought about that because you got really good at a lot of stuff. Like, you know, we'd wake up in the morning, I'd tell you what we were doing, and I'd send you a YouTube video that kind of explained how to do it for me and for you. And then we would just do that. And then you got really good at a lot of stuff. And then you don't... Like what? What are you talking about? Well, like, I don't know if you remember, but you were really into all of the, um, like, oh, God, my, my, the angles of cut, angle cuts and stuff like that. And you were really intense about wanting the um, baseboard trim to really, like, be perfect. And yeah, that kind of thing appeals to me, but... So making all those cuts, and you were just, you were always doing all the baseboard trim and stuff like that. 
I think I remember, by the way, why I didn't do the ditch. Around that time, I had a, a lot of middle upper back pain, basically between the shoulder blades, like right under the neck. And the thought of using that big, it's like a big iron spike mm-hmm. that you use to just, you hoist it up and then jam it down. And that would have ruined me. Yeah, something like that. Also, just for those who are not Texans, digging in Texas is not like digging in the Northeast or whatever, where it's like, oh, it's like I'm cutting through a marshmallow. This is like hard clay. Yeah. That doesn't, you know, if it's wet at all, it sticks to the shovel. And <laughs> like, right. you, don't, you don't use a shovel. You use like a pick and you use a giant iron bar. It's a giant iron bar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that pick. Yeah. The pickaxe. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of rocks, too. A lot of rocks. So... Not as many rocks as we were rocking here. That didn't quite work. Nah. It was... Anyway. So, we had a lot of friends. We enlisted a lot of help. uh, Not the least of which came from... Ugh. Speaking of a terribly constructed Mm. sentence. uh, Was Mache. Uh, an architect oh, yeah. based out of Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Who's an old friend of ours. And how did you get him involved? And uh, what what was that like? Uh, Mache is a musician himself, and he's been a big supporter of our music since um, I met him as his teacher. Or I guess he was in high school when I was a middle school teacher, but back in Hartford, Connecticut, way back in like 2000, 2001. Really, really talented musician himself and just artist. And he also became a professional, arch- professional architect. And I always had that in the back of my mind. So when we were designing a recording studio, he was the first person that came to mind. And uh, he designed, I mean, we basically didn't make any changes to his design that he came up with um, exterior or interior. Uh, he had one weird thing on the outside where like the, one of the walls is kind of angled and like a trapezoid, which we thought was kind of weird, and, but it is it really cool. Yeah, and I remember coming out and seeing when they built it, and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> this Bone is saw. so wrong. Look, look what they did. How did they think that this was straight? Yeah, but the little alcove, or what it's the fo- foyer? Foyer? Mm, I don't know. It creates a foyer. But it's this little, like, the entryway, the landing, yeah. so to speak, is has this weird shape to it. But, uh, yeah, you can see, actually the blueprints and the plans and whatnot on oh, this neat. video, which we will link to. But nice. yeah, Mache nailed it. He did it. And he'd been down to Austin a few times. He'd come to visit us. He'd come to a lot of our shows. He knew our, our style and our vibe. Well, two interesting things about that. Well, one is really like, he's from Brooklyn and the design of it at the time has like these like vertical slats and it's kind of like, you know, it didn't look like a lot of other things here in Austin, but I liked it. And since then, as a lot of style things do, the sort of styles from New York have trickled down to here, and now there's like so many new houses being built, and a lot of them have a very similar style to what we've had for a while, just because Mache was, you know, ahead of the game there. I noticed that too. And he's been down here since to check it out, which is nice. That's right, he has. It must be a thrill for an architect to see something they've designed come to fruition. I think the idea was that he would he you know gave us a good rate on it also and I think the idea was that someday he'd come record an album here too which would be pretty cool still hopefully it will happen but I will as you talk about the friends that was one thing that was really fun about it was not only did we have a really great time getting to know the con- subcontractors like Bob the guy who put the Bob. framing and and uh, he chom- was injured for most of the time he was he had a, like a giant hole in his foot it was so weird and Chano who did the concrete who I still am in touch with we've done a bunch of projects. You know, and so, but also getting our friends 
involve was really fun who have different skills. I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, and other friends who did a lot more and some who just came for like really fun sort of hang weekends to work. Yeah, there was Rick Reagan from Houston, a, a, a fan turned friend from the full service days. He came down and he built the control room desk, he which did. we're sitting at right now. Yeah, he designed and built the desk and taught me how to build some stuff like, like the desk, which I, lend the, I then later built one in the other room. And then he built these sort of alternating um, triangular shelves. It's in, like a Jacob's Ladder type yeah, thing. Yeah, in your corner and in my corner. So we have like a cool thing for our stuff and it's good for the sound. Really cool design. And then he also did... Um, and just to, it's almost like an exposed locker. Yeah. You know? So we each have an, an open locker. But yeah, like you said, it, it has these diffusion effects yeah, and then on top of that, we, we also built these bookshelves that go all the way around the top of the whole thing to kind of tie into it. So that was another thing where, like, he made the corner thing and then kind of showed me the way, and then I built the uh, bookshelves and everything, which also helped for the sound and setting the right vibe and a place to put our million books and my wife Colleen's million books. And then he also did some shelves upstairs, too. Just came in for the weekend, hung out. It was awesome. Yeah, and another guy from Houston, Tony. Yeah, T-Money. T-Money came down, and he did this entire control room. The drywall, I think, in this entire control downstairs. room. Downstairs. The whole downstairs. So T-Money is, is maybe one of our longest music friends from Houston. He's been in a bunch of bands, Unknown Locals, and a bunch of others. He has a, a, um, a printing company. They do T-shirts, vinyl signs. They just make stuff. If you need something made... T-Money will make it Kalen Customs, K-A-E-L-I-N Customs out of Houston. They've done so much for us. But one weekend, he just came down here with his two buddies. I don't even remember their names. And me and you and I think and our cousin Brian did the drywall upstairs. And those guys knocked out the entire drywall downstairs, which was just... And then they took us out to dinner. Yeah. And then they just... They, and then they like... Smoked out a little bit, and then they went home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The next day, actually, they, even, they may have even slept in here. Well, when we had also Dylan, of course, Dylan, whose contributions extend far beyond his manual labor during the building, we'll get to that. But he was here a lot for. I, I remember particularly ceiling. Yep. Drywall. We got we got into a. There was a, we had a moment doing the ceiling in this control room where so we to do the we had to do a whole thing of drywall and ceiling then we had to put this stuff called green glue that's like diffuses the sound into heat expensive stuff but you put it in between then you do all of the drywall and the ceiling again to two layers so it, that was really like emotionally tough to do it all again because drywall is tough but he helped us do the ceiling in here and there was one time when it was so hot and he went I he and I were trying to get this one big twelve foot piece up, and like we were both just had one arm and trying to get the other piece up, and it, we, we were just pouring sweat and just like I don't know, it was extreme exertion. Yeah, he up. was pouring sweat. Yeah. That's it. You know, you hear that sometimes, and it's usually <laughs> the person isn't actually pouring sweat, but it was dripping, pouring. So he, he, he brought a great vibe because he doesn't ever need to be told what to do. And he works so hard. He just comes and he just wants to work and get it done and hang out. But his hangout is working really hard. We had Wild Bill who came over to do one brush stroke. <laughs> and he did it in the wrong color. 
He came over just to piss me off. I think he did. <laughs> I think he did. Who else do we have? We have Brian, our cousin Brian, we must discuss. Brian is, what, like maybe 15 years older than we are? Uh, yeah, a little, a little yeah, more. Yeah, something like that. And he came down every day. At He was here by like 7.30. Yeah, early. And he worked his balls off. But he had a strange thing where he he's a bleeder. Yeah. <laughs> so he was constantly cutting himself and bleeding. And he was just filthy. He could not keep himself clean. He made a big display of not wanting to do the... What was it? What was that thing? He like? didn't want to sand the drywall. That's right. But then... So after you put up drywall, you have to cover all the holes and all the creases with mud. Basically, it's called whatever. And... And then you like spatula out smooth, but then you have to really sand it or else you see all the lines. And so he was like, yeah, go back to you. It's almost like he really did want to do it. He so ended up doing it. He ended up doing it. Yeah. It was like, I'll do, I'll help you with anything except for that. And then he did it by himself. But then he insisted on doing it himself. Yeah. And he can't, I'll never forget, he came down, sat at the bottom of the stairs and he had drywall completely clogging his <laughs> nose. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Brian was just an incredible help. Emotionally, also, just having him come all the time so it wasn't just me and you, you know? Right. I think was also just really helpful. We talked music, you know, and politics a lot. You know, that's the kind of the experience you have with, like, a relative or your cousin like that, that then, like, that's you always have that, you know? It makes you closer forever. Yeah, every Even time if, we see him now, I there, we kind of give each other a look. It's just the look says we did that thing together. Yeah, yeah. We've, yeah. Been, we've been through something together. Uh, he, really we all had our, the music that we brought to the table to, uh, you know, the playlist we've built on Spotify. Mine was, I was really into David Bowie's Black Star album at the time. It had just come out. David Bowie just died, I think, one of those days we were working on it. You had, what were you jamming? You were doing a lot of KRS-One. Yes. That was really weird, but I got really into KRS-One. A lot of KRS-One. I had never listened to KRS-One before, but then I just got into him. Mm. Uh, let me ask you this: of all the, there were so many little jobs that we had to do. Like, what are the like the two or three things that stick out to you that like you remember from the work of doing this? Do you mean that I would be able to do again, or that remember no, the just experience? Thinking back on it, like, man, that was really tough, or that that summed up what it was like to to build like this. Uh, a few things I remember: the doing the floors. We have beautiful wood floors here. What kind of wood is that? It's uh, engineered hardwood, so it's a layer of hardwood with some other engineered wood under it. But it's like, I think it's a hand-scraped acacia. Okay. Hmm. And it's, I didn't expect you to know the answer. But it's like four or five <laughs> inches. It's, it's not like thin slats. It's those big, fat ones. And I think they look really cool. It's five inches, yeah. Brian and I did that upstairs. You did it downstairs. And I remember Brian and I, we got nine rows done in about four hours and then it took the entire rest of the time like three hours yeah and we just we got that much quicker eventually there's a specific way you're supposed to glue it down but eventually we were just squirting it like toothpaste all over the floor and it looks it's still great now so other things i remember i for some reason enjoyed the what is it called mudding and taping or mudding and floating you're almost there Taping and floating. There you go. Yeah. And what is that? That's when you you tape 
the corners of the room, and then you wipe this mud, and it's supposed to create this. Is that what? Yeah. Yeah. And I really liked the precision involved in that, although it was a dreadful mess. I hated it, yeah. Caulking was my least favorite. We did so much caulking. We had to do every single slat that was up, going up and down, and every single crease or corner outside, inside. Yeah, that was, and it was cold. I mean, it was, you know, Texas cold, but I remember a lot of like really cold times way up on the ladder. You, I didn't like to go on the ladder I at remember. all. You were like, I'm not going to do the ladder. And I was like, fuck. I had to be up there the second, the corner outside of here, which is way up here. Mm-hmm. It's like the second story. And I had to be upside down on the ladder. That was, it was dicey. You I mean, weren't upside down on the ladder. I mean, ladder. you have to go to get. The underside, you got to go up and get, you know, there was a couple sketchy things, but there was only one section that was impossible to get to because of the staircase, and that was really tricky. What was your favorite job and least favorite job to do when building the dream? I mean, least favorite was probably digging the ditch, although to me it was like, I, I, I just got in the mindset that everything we were doing was just like putting in the sweat to get the dream. You know, like the end result was so awesome and something that we'd wanted for so long that it made the the, the really difficult jobs better because I, I was just kept fraying it like we you know I, I kind of was getting off on the idea like we we're building our dream you know what I mean uh digging the ditch was pretty tough I hated going to the dump that time I don't that's weird the dump that was you hated that I hated it we found like baby squirrels we found in a the baby dump. squirrel living yeah, so we're at the dump throwing our stuff just out in the earth which is horrifying that that's what happens to your trash you just throw it on the ground and like we find these baby squirrels that had like hatched in the our dump pile. We had a giant dump pile, and somehow this baby squirrel survived the trip over and being under all that garbage. We brought it back, the baby squirrel. Yeah, I and just... we tried, but it did not survive. Yeah, I liked the dump. I thought it was interesting because it really did feel like another planet. Yeah. It was, it was a horrible place. I thought it was terrible. There is a great video recap of our trip to the dump, which, again, there is? we will link. Oh, no. Um, you know, somewhere. You know, the projects that would, that involved being inside, working on the thing, and, you know, building the, the desks and the bookshelves, that stuff was really fun. I liked learning about all that stuff. It was the things like, like, that just never seemed to go away. Like we had, we, there's a huge pile of dirt that was created from digging the foundation and it had, you know, grown all this grass. It was like weeds and we had to do something with it. And it was wet a lot that spring. We yeah. were finally ready. I, just as you're telling me this, so I don't we had, really want to talk about right. it anymore. We just had to move it from there to there to get it away. And it was like every, you take it, you try it, you get like stick the shovel in and you get out like an ounce. Yeah. And it would like, that ounce would like stick to the shovel and it was just like, ugh, I'm just moving this fucking pile from here to here. And it was like it's one of the like last things. A big pile of dishes that just is staring you in the face for a long time. Yeah, I really hated that. And, you know, those kind of things. And like um, renting the dingo. And like, the dingo was yeah. on my list. You enjoyed the dingo, though. Yeah, I did. I just, I'm a little freaked out by like the heavy machinery. So I kept thinking, I was like, God, I know I'm going to like tear my ACL or something. I, I hopped on the dingo. And hopped right off. Yeah. See, this is what this is. Are you are you people hearing a theme here? It was like, oh, ditch. Uh, I don't want to do that. Okay, but once they do that, it was like, or, uh, you know, I'm not gonna do anything. I'm not gonna go up on the ladder. But, but I was also very into painting. We have different. It pretty 
closely matched our specific tastes and strengths. You enjoy the detail work a lot more than I did. In general, I like the fact that like it's very gratifying to build your own thing and to like have spent so much time in the tiny corner of that closet. Like, you know, really worrying about this one little corner that nobody's ever in or whatever, but because for one, it really felt like we earned it and and it also just feels like um I don't know, it's just very gratifying to do that and then now to just get such heavy use out of it and it's just paid off so well for us constant use constant use yeah and it's fun to just whenever i'm sitting somewhere sometimes i'll see like something that we did and i'm like oh i remember when hogan and i had a fight about whether like that cut on the bass trim was good enough yeah and it doesn't matter no one ever looks at it it's so stupid i when i reach up there in the closet to get that like uh it's like a toy piano up there we sometimes use but i remember being up there and painstakingly doing the painting where it meets the ceiling who cares you literally can't see it really really dumb but it was it was worthwhile to put the effort in to make it really nice i think and there's some some really cool things that are just accidents there's some cool things that we thought of (laughs) when putting it in but you know like those things in the corners those jagged things in the live room like we were talking about those locker type things the books those are intentional but there's things like on the control room desk, there is a little bit of space between the top of the desk and the body. Yeah. And you can put your guitar picks in it's there. It's perfect. And when you're tracking guitars yourself, which you do a lot, I mean, right now I'm looking at six picks. I just, I just re-upped it. Just, just stuck them all in there. Duck in the desk. That's great. And, and they're actually right next to what my favorite things about it is the, yeah. the, the green light that turns on everything in this room. The kill switch. Yeah. I just, you know, it sucks to have to like, we always want to turn everything off at the end of the day. And I didn't want to have to like, you know, bend over and go under the desk to like turn off the surge protector. You got to turn off the interface, the other interface, the two monitors, the computer. All the hard drives. All the hard drive. Yeah. So there's a lot, there would be a lot of switching off. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I, I would love to just have a big green button that you can just press to turn the whole thing off. So I was like, all right, I'll figure out how to do that. And I bought one and I ordered it. And it was tricky as shit <laughs> because I had never done something like that before. But And then I made this green button that's right here. And I really love turning it on and turning it off. It's oh, per- see, the, the, st- the part of the story I was looking forward to was what you built around the green button. Oh, <laughs> well, I didn't want it to be hit bumped accidentally. Which Actually, it was one time. One time. Like the, the We did it, and then by accident, like before I built this little frame around it. See, now, now I'm horrified, because if I did that again, I would make a sweet frame. But at the end of a project, sometimes you just get like, fuck, I just need to make this something that's going to work for now. But I painted these two little blocks green, and then I just screwed them in on either side. <laughs> yeah. But, but they've the, worked perfectly. The idea is it's a bumper, so you can't you can't press the kill switch accidentally, with, with which happened knee. once, and then your session closes. It's normally not a problem because autosave. Yeah. But you know what, what would be next level cool would be a little plastic bubble. That was what we... Top. Yeah. Dang. We should just, you can click on the button, and then it opens up. Yeah. That's not the only bubble that I love to have too. I also think it'd be fun to get one of those like, um, like the kind of like bubble window that's at the be- the bottom of a ship. Oh yeah, to see out. Yeah, to see out. I love to have that like Ooh. on this door or like right here in this wall. Absolutely, let's do that. I know. What do they call like a port porthole uh, window? Porthole. Yeah. Yeah. That like but bubbles out though, you know. 
yeah, doesn't open I, or anything. I think a porthole is just like a flat window. But I know what you're talking about. Like in the zoo. Yes. They have them where the gorillas can come into the space. Yeah, I'd love to put one of those in here. Although I do think it's nice sometimes this is just like, you can't see out. You can't be distracted by whatever's happening outside. That's true. More of a thing for me because I, I'm like, oh, it's sunny. I want to go outside and do something else. That's interesting. I don't have those feelings. I would just want it because it would be nice to have a little bit of the outside inside. But you're saying it would be too much for you. You'd want to immediately leave this room. I mean, yeah, or I would at least feel some tug. Which is, that's another peculiar thing about why I love this. We recorded a bunch of other albums at other studios, and it was always fucking cold, and the AC was always on, and like, whatever, I just was never really comfortable. So when I'm tracking guitars here, I fucking love it, because I just put the door open, the outside's right there, and I can just sit here recording, and it's like, it gets hot, and I get warmed up, and I get really comfortable, and I just have it really loud. And I can just get super comfortable because so I'm kind of outside. It's so loud. Whenever but, I come in, you monitor yourself. Basically, he listens to himself while he's recording. Very loud. I know. And it's, it's because I get to do what I really want to do to make me comfortable, which is I listen to it loud and I have the door open. So I'm basically outside and I get it really hot. And I don't care if it's like humid or whatever. I mean, I try, I, I try to pick the days where it's good so it's not like crazy humid. Uh, and that just makes me comfortable. And then I get the best performances that I can get. Cause that's the most important part. But all the other things I was always like under time pressure or it was too cold. And I was just like in this dark studio, but here I can do it. Even if it's not what you're supposed to do. That's how I like it. Let's talk about tape ball. Tape ball. Do you remember? Of course you do. Of course I do. Yeah. He's in there. I see you looking for him. He's in I there. I was. Is usually in here. Oh, there it is. <laughs> He's on my little shelfie. It's like a like a giant dinosaur green green dinosaur egg yeah it is a bit like I a giant green I can't believe it's still in there dinosaur. I was looking for it I just like started to look for where it like was when we were building it it used to be there yeah that's right <laughs> but tape ball is uh, a big <laughs> ball of painter's tape it's green and we made this ball while obviously we were painting and we made a game out of it which is not much of a game It's the rules are quite simple you take tape ball and you peg it <laughs> at your friend co-worker or colleague or enemy and they what are the rules again i think you just peg it just and they it. have to catch it but if they no i don't remember if they catch it then they win that point but we didn't keep score no it was just like an accumulating thing that got bigger and bigger as we pulled off the tape from painting Mm-hmm. And I just more I enjoyed the fact that it just became like a little mascot that just kept growing. Yeah, in fact, there's a fit in one of the videos of the you know that we made when we were building it. Mini there's tape a ball. baby tape ball. Yeah, and I look. I was watching it the other day to get ready for this podcast, and I was like, "Look at little tape ball. It's like Groot <laughs> it's like, from uh, the second Guardians of the Galaxy. It's exactly like Groot, but it's much bigger now. So I mean, it's not that big. It's about the size of a softball, but it'd be a pretty pretty good game to like you know i spy in our in the studio it'll be you know a lot you could spy we have yeah. a lot of you and i are both pretty sentimental and sentimental about little things too like collecting things it's not overcrowded with stuff but there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff in there actually that'd be a cool thing to ask future guests would be what they fixate on what their favorite little thing 
because there's so much stuff in there. I mean, I'm looking at here. Let's just and that's what you do when you're recording is you just kind of get exactly fixed on something and you just, exactly. I'm, I'm looking at this thing and I just keep looking at this Connecticut license plate constantly. Right, I know <laughs> that happens at shows too. Yeah, I know. Um, something in the at the venue you'll just fixate on. But so right now I'm just gonna. You can stop me, but I'm just going to go for a while. I go see ahead. a mini gong, your first guitar ever that you got when you were a teenager, yep. finger cymbals that mom got us from Turkey, a slide whistle, two po- show posters from a 311 show that we played, two synthesizers that I stole from our friend Morgan. And our brother Tyler. Mm-hmm. Four bobbleheads of former I mean, that presidents. synthesizer was the thing that came in 1986 or 84 or whatever that Tyler used to play the Dire Straits song on. Wait, what's the Dire Straits song? You know, like... Um, I think you're thinking of the Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, you played that too, but it was also, um, you know, Brothers in Arms or whatever. Anyway, that's, that, that's you know, it's sentimental for that reason. There's an animal puppet, uh, my childhood Velcro shoes. Yep. Uh, that, Connecticut- that are zebra-striped. Yeah, Connecticut license plate. There's a clock that is always reads 311. That's right. Yeah, it's always 311 in the studio. Uh, we have our old interfaces up there. They're not even interfaces. They're just recording. Yeah, we got the Tascam 8-track. We've got the Tascam 4-track. We've got the like the handheld just tape deck. Uh, With just one record button and yeah. play and, and rewind. The, the Connecticut license plate was Grandpa's license plate. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. One of the first projects... No, the first project we recorded in here was a just-for-fun... Oh, yeah. Project that was basically full service plus Dylan. Yep. That's exactly what it was, actually. And it was a surf project. We called it Seaweed Sandwich. And before we talk about it, let's just play a little, just a snippet of the leadoff track from Seaweed Sandwich's album, Full Surf Hits. So that was the squids are all right. I knew you were going to choose the one you wrote. It's the first one. <laughs> well, and it we, sounds really cool right off the bat. Great, it's a great song. Each person had to contribute at least two songs in surf rock style. That was really fun because we wanted to figure out, work the kinks out of the studio, make sure it all kind of worked well, it sounded good, and like it sounded uh, great. Yeah, and in so, some ways, I've been chasing that sound ever since. <laughs> And it was the most collaborative thing we've done, because all of the way that you and I record is like a little different. You know, we'll have periods where we kind of write and jam together, and then pretty much go off into our own corners. We don't usually interact much at all. By your design, just I'm just putting it out there that that's your workflow. Not no, my, we do when, the, when you workflow. know when it's time, but we we just don't jam a lot. But I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't blame me for that. I'd blame, I'd blame you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you blame the dynamics of jamming. I mean, especially now. It's not like you have time to jam. Well, yeah, but you can't judge it by now. <laughs> this was like a policy you put in place like years ago. Although I will say I don't really want you around when I'm tracking my guitars anymore either. Because I just, it's just, I can just kind of like work out shitty ideas and not worry about anybody else listening to them. 
Yeah, we really we created the best way for us both to work. And here's what I really think happened with how we write songs. In the beginning, we, you know, pre our first album, we were constantly jamming because we didn't have anything to rehearse for. We didn't have any like business shit to do. Re the band, we didn't have any social media. We weren't making videos. We weren't, it wasn't this whole other ballgame. All it was was the music part of it. Hmm. So we did that for a long time. And shortly after our first second album, then the shift came because we had we were busy with all other aspects of the music um, career. You know, it's a good theory. That's a really good theory. I mean, I, I also think that we got we've played a long time together and we've written like so many songs. I think we there used to be like it's happened once or twice, but for the most part now it's like I know if you're gonna think something's cool that I've written. And you know if I think something's cool. Like, I, th- I feel like we've sort of internalized a little bit of what the other person might think of something so that when I have a riff to bring to it, it's pretty much going to work. And then we play it for like a, like a kind of like a freakishly short amount of time. And then you're like, okay, let's track it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, leave me. <laughs> uh, and I'll put the some, drum part some of that down. Is, some of that is you want to just like spend some time with it and decode it. Well, it's hard, like I've told you before, it's hard. If you have a thing that you're playing, you've got that down on your end. And so you want to get, you move to arrangement and song structure, whereas I haven't gotten there because you had the idea usually on the guitar. So I have to get my part when you're trying to move on to arrangement stuff. So that's when I have to stop you and get parts together so that I can get to the arrangement part of it all. You know what I mean? I respect that. Where my zone, I see I'm a guitar first thinker here, but where my zone is is there is like, let's just like get the ideas out and then refine because I want to like move on because I'm like, while I want to seize this moment when it this sounds amazing for the first time, like the first time I'm playing one riff with you on drums like oh shit this is so awesome that will frequently spark the idea for the next parts and so i'm like let's take the energy of this moment and see what else comes out after that and then harness it later but if we stop and try to like make sure that you're playing it exactly right at that time then we lose potentially that well i don't know i mean moment. i i think but that's, that's only thinking great. from my, my perspective of i'm the one who's creating and you're just kind of like assisting in that case Fuck you. What? <laughs> I'm just assisting. No, you're, in that moment, you're assisting to uh, extract the melodic part of the song, the initial melodic part. I mean, you you know you know what I'm saying? It works. It's working for us now. Anyway, we didn't create this podcast just to fight in front of people. <laughs> the uh, But the, these are the kind of things that you can work out when you have your own studio or when you have a really relaxed vibe of the studio. Mm-hmm. We can work those things out here and not have to like be on the clock. Yeah, yeah, we're never on the clock. That's really nice. Well, so tell me about I, I didn't need to get going, but tell me so tell tell me about what's coming next for this podcast and why people want to listen to it and what's kind of you've really stepped up your game as far as like marketing the dream and uh, like, yes, getting yes. more clients in here. Like, well, I made a new website. I think it looks fantastic. It's thedreamrecordingstudio.com. and I've been ramping it up because I guess during COVID, we weren't getting a lot of people in here for obvious reasons. And 
I came up with the idea for this podcast just to kind of keep it alive, so to speak. And I said, actually, I saw um, a, a future guest, someone who recorded here, J.D. Torian of Delivery Service and Mr. Torian. He that, did was a retro- a fun, that was a fun album. Sorry yeah, it was. <laughs> he did a retrospective of his album at the one-year anniversary or two-year anniversary. And I thought it was cool listening to him talk about the process of recording it and with some perspective. So that gave me the idea to in- invite all these people back in that have recorded here in the past few years. There will be 10 of them and talk about their... Not only the recording process, but the writing process and their time here, what they thought of the place. And we do some deep dives into some of their songs. And um, I just thought it'd be a good way to relaunch the studio after the COVID era and have some some cool things for people to listen to. If they're thinking about recording here, They can. I, I hope they're able to get a vibe of the place through hearing other people's stories about their experience here. Yeah, maybe I was just missing recording people, and I can't wait to get them back. There have been a lot of different um, types of songs and albums recorded here. That's one of the other reasons why I wanted to do the podcast, is because I think people would be interested to see what it's like to record and what it's like for a lot of different styles of bands. There's country western, there's just like more of an acoustic singer-songwriter thing. There's, you know, JD had like a, a robot rock kind of thing going on. We'll oh. see. I hope people enjoy it. Let me ask you one more question. What is a, what's, what's different about the dream? Like what would set it apart? Why would somebody want to choose to record the dream instead of like Congress House Studios or like um, whatever the, you know, there's a lot of great studios in town. Right. Not that this is some advertisement, but I'm just curious what your take is on why because this is a pretty funky little unique boutique I, yeah. studio. I think um, there is a combination of a relaxed attitude, but a, a, an awareness that this is serious business and it's a big investment for people to come in and, and capture their vision on record. That's key to creating the perfect recording environment. I think in some ways this place can remind people of more of a a home and not like not like it's a it is somewhat of a home studio but it doesn't feel like a house it just it just doesn't feel like a studio yeah yeah <laughs> you know what I mean it, when you're in that room in the cutting room in there like Keezy the drummer for Goldie Pipes said I feel like I'm back in my grandma's basement with my boys (laughs) jamming and that's what we wanted it to feel like and you know we've been in some studios where you really feel like a visitor Hmm. but i think quickly people here i hope don't feel like a visitor after maybe you know a half hour once we get to know each other and once they they see what it's all about i'd love that keezy said that because the most important thing is to get great performances out of people in the studio. I mean, it's your job as a studio engineer to get make it sound good, and you, you're, you're going to do that no matter what. Yes. And But it's like it's getting the best performances out of people and making them feel comfortable. That is the real trick. You know, you go to, you go to a studio, and it's like bare walls. It's all set up. It kind of feels a little, not corporate, but like a little like, you know, office-y. Mm-hmm. You're not there feeling like, I'm fucking rocking. 
or whatever you're doing, or I'm going to try to get into a really emotional state to like bare my soul to sing this part. You can't really get that vibe at, you know, if it's just kind of like, you know, soulless place. Right. And so this place is like, they might clue into like, that's their grandpa's license plate and it says 93. And that's, you know what I mean? Like that's like a real true emotional thing that can maybe help bring out people's emotions too. And hopefully also feels like a little bit of like, we, you know, we, we try to maintain that South Austin vibe that is sort of disappearing in town. But I think that our the studio and the backyard in general does feel like a bit of an oasis, you know, and can make people feel like they come here and they're they've stepped out of their normal life there. And they're speaking of stepping out, I think that's a big part of it. When they step out of the studio, they're in this backyard, which is pretty cool. You've made a, a great backyard. The, the studio is in Bonesaw's backyard. Um, and we'll post some photos and whatnot. But when they step out of the studio, it's a really pleasant atmosphere. Yeah. A lot of studios you step out of and you're in a parking like lot. a dingy parking lot yeah. alley storage yeah. space or something. You know, like it's great. There's chickens running around. I got peach trees all over the place. We've got a great like, you know, fire pit sitting area. There's there's like a lot of workout equipment if you want to do that. We do backyard concerts here. There's a stage. There's like uh my daughter running around back there and yep. uh an outdoor shower that's been used by folks who've come here. <laughs> the number one thing we wanted to do was make it comfortable. And because we always wanted to feel comfortable at the studio. So it's it's an uh, interesting thing having gone through the process and then making your own studio because you can collect the things you liked and didn't like about the places you've been and make your dream. Totally. That's what it is. Anyway, I got to go, Hogue. All right. Well... Yeah, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of things we reference in this podcast, and we will post them, link to them. The website is thedreamrecordingstudio.com. Uh, on YouTube, it's Dream Studios ATX, as it is also on Instagram. And we're going to try to point you, whenever there's a reference on an episode, we're going to try to point you to any pictures or videos we might have. So go follow those things. And look forward to episode number two, which will feature Marshall Larden. Oh, love that record. Yeah, Just My Luck. Stay tuned for that. All right. Well, hope you're enjoying it. Make sure to check out Two Players, new record when it comes out. And come if you're an artist who wants to record, you know. Okay, what should we take them out with? I'm always going to play a song at the end. I guess we should do something seaweed sandwich since it was the first thing here. We already played some. Play something of the new Well, we just played a little thing. Okay, maybe we'll play some new stuff. We'll bookend it. We played them a little bit of the first project, and then now we'll play them in the most recent. Play them my three solos in a row there during uh, that song that you referenced that has a little Grateful Daddy solo. Okay. There's no vocals there, though. Sucks for you. It doesn't matter. Here it is.
Dream Studios podcast is brought to you by PuppetTelegrams.com. Think of someone in your life. Would they love getting a personalized telegram from a puppet? Of course they would. You choose the puppet. That's the fun part. Will it be Wingo the Bat, lovable and dim-witted? Will it be Lionel the Lion, who is blustery and proud? Maybe you'll choose Layla the Chicken, sarcastic and edgy, or Vitaly the Monster, an excitable force of nature. After that, you provide some quick details about your recipient to help the puppet telegram be as personalized as possible. It's a quick and easy way to make someone laugh for quite literally any occasion. A birthday, anniversary, graduation, promotion, get well, congratulations, retirement, I miss you, and my favorite, just because. You don't have to be a kid to crack up at... You don't have to be a kid to crack up at one of these telegrams, and the messages can be anywhere from wholesome to edgy and everywhere in between. To get you started, the puppets are giving you a $10 coupon. Just use the code LAUGH, that's L-A-U-G-H, if you decide to order a puppet telegram from puppettelegrams.com.